How many of you have heard of the fictitious tribe of the Drids? Good, because there's no such... Well, there's a fictitious tribe of the Drids, <laughs> right? It's a fictitious one. But <clears throat> they had a problem, this tribe of the Drids. I don't know if I've told you this story. Have I told anybody? Does it sound familiar? I know Kat's heard it before. They had this problem, this Drid. They were this like, little clan of people, and they lived right on a river, and they liked to go over on the other side of the river occasionally, and go buy some goods and bring them back on the other side of the bridge. And then this really nice bridge. It was like a really cool kind of arched bridge. It was, you know, maybe about 20, 30 yards long. And lo and behold, a troll starts living underneath the bridge. Can you go figure, right? A troll living under the bridge. And every time one of the drids would go across the bridge, the troll would jump out and kick him in the butt. And they're like, what are we going to do? Every time we go over this bridge, this troll jumps out and kicks us, kicks one of us drids. This will be lost on some younger generations, but anyway. So they, uh, they decide, they, they, they're familiar with this Jewish rabbi who seems to be able to go and talk with, drid, talk with trolls and kind of calm them down and kind of, you know, get them to stop doing their bad behaviors, right? So, so they get a hold of this rabbi and... He comes, he's like, sure, I'll talk to the troll for you, no problem at all. And they're like, he gets there, and they're like, well, tell me exactly again what's going on. He's like, well, watch, watch, okay? Call one of the drids over to send him over the bridge. The troll jumps out, he kicks him in the butt. See, that's, that's what's going on. So the rabbi's like, huh, that's really interesting. So the rabbi, he walks over the bridge, nothing. He walks back over the other side of the bridge, nothing. Like, what, what's going on? They send another drid over the bridge, and sure enough, they thought maybe the troll left. The tril- troll jumps out again, kicks a drid in the butt. Like, what is the deal? So the rabbi, he walks over, and he stops on the top of the bridge, and sure enough, the troll still doesn't jump out, but he leans over, and he's like, hey, troll, what's the deal? Every time a drid walks over, you kick him in the butt. But every time I walk over, you don't do anything. The troll says, silly rabbi, kicks her for drids. <laughs> what was great is I saw like three people that know that joke and they're like trying to hold it together. Oh, yeah. All right. We have a rabbi. <laughs> there is a segue here. <laughs> we, we have a rabbi. We do. We're not drids. We don't, well, we do get kicked in the butt sometimes, but <laughs> we have a rabbi, Jesus. Jesus is our rabbi. A rabbi is a teacher. Jesus is our teacher. Rabbis in Jesus' time and before and in the Hebrew culture still today are people that interpret the law and the prophets. Rabbis would interpret the entire Old Testament And they themselves, if they were not hypocrites, would be obedient to their own teachings. They wouldn't teach just by the verbal things that they said. They would also teach by the things that they did. And then people who were their disciples would follow their teaching as well. So it's challenging in many ways for us because Jesus does not interpret in the New Testament every single thing in the Old Testament for us. Right? 
We can't turn to some section of the Gospels where Jesus just tells us exactly how to interpret Leviticus 21.12. He doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It would be nice sometimes if he did, but he doesn't. But we can go to Jesus' teaching and start to learn to apply what he teaches us in the New Testament as our rabbi to all the Old Testament texts. And this is hugely important. Any interpretation of the Old Testament that's in conflict with Jesus' teaching is to deny Jesus as our rabbi and to deny Jesus as our Lord. You know, you can justify an awful lot of things by going to your Old Testament. You can justify murder. You can justify slavery. You can justify treating people that are crippled poorly. You can justify killing people that are trying to maybe oppose you. You just want their land. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things that you can justify by certain ways of reading your Old Testament. And we live in a place and a time when people do that a lot. But we can't call Jesus our rabbi and our Lord if we're not going to first take into consideration the things that he says and how they apply to some of those Old Testament texts. We're going to get into that today. So we're in a series called Back to Galilee, and I'm sorry, I don't have the slide for you today, but it looks like Back to the Future. Anyway, y'all have seen it. Some of y'all have seen it. Um, And this Back to Galilee series, again, is about how we in light of Jesus' resurrection, need to return to Galilee, go right back to the roots of how everything started and consider once again everything that Jesus had to say and had to teach his disciples, has to teach us. Because in light of the resurrection, everything changes. In light of the resurrection, things sink in a little deeper. In light of the resurrection, we say, oh, I guess I should have been paying attention. The Gospel of Matthew and all the Gospels weren't meant to be read just once. They are meant to be read over and over and over again. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm just going to read for us the text for today and just kind of get it in your ear right up front. It's from Matthew chapter 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount. follows the Beatitudes and the call to be salt and light or the proclamation that this bunch of people that are following Jesus around are salt and light. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, then unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? Right? Anytime Jesus says something like, you will certainly not, I think we should pay attention. Especially when it's associated with the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of the heavens. So again, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking this to a ragtag bunch of folks that are following Jesus around the countryside, hoping to be healed, hoping to be touched, hoping to have their lives transformed, hoping to find just some hope. They're not the elites of society. They're the lower rungs of society, if we want to think about it that way at all. But in God's eyes, they're certainly not lower rungs. They are, they're blessed. 
they are salt and light. Though they're poor and meek and though they're peacemakers, they were blessed and they were blessed for a purpose. Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. The people that were following Jesus around were Hebrew people, people that had familiarities with the Old Testament scriptures for the most part, especially at this point in Jesus' ministry. And for sure, as he was teaching, they wanted him to explain the Old Testament law and the prophets. And Jesus straight up lets them know that he has not come to abolish the law and the prophets, which seems a little bit peculiar that Jesus would start off this section of teaching by saying that I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. And again, the law and the prophets is the entirety of the Old Testament. So why, why would Jesus right now, why would he even think that they would think that he came to abolish the law and the prophets? Well, interestingly, and for those of you who are interested in such things, Nomasete. Nomasete is the word in Greek. And it's an ingressive, aorist, active subjunctive of prohibition. Did you get that? <laughs> Only reason I threw it out there is because it just sounds fun to say. It's an ingressive, aorist, active subjunctive of prohibition. And technically, it could be translated something like, don't even begin to think. It's a precursor. He's saying it up front. He's like striking before people start to misunderstand what he's about to do. So it could be translated something like, in light of what I'm about to say, don't think, don't even begin to think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Because he's going to go on in the next number of verses, in the rest of the chapter of Matthew 5, really saying some things that would potentially make people think that he is abolishing the law and the prophets. It actually should get our attention. Like, oh, wow, what are you saying, Jesus? You're going to offer up some really challenging stuff that you told me not to think that, I've, that you've come to abolish the law and the prophets. So, literally, the word abolish means to, to loosen down. Some translations have destroy, some have to diminish, some have to revoke. But simply put, Jesus is stating that he is not trying to do those things. Concerning the Old Testament scriptures, he doesn't want to dismiss them. He doesn't want to diminish them. They're important. They're important to his people. They're part of where they came from. They're part of their heritage. They're part of God having spoken to them, and he's not trying to diss them any whatsoever. He's not trying to do harm to their message or their witness He's not trying to deny the Old Testament Torah or the prophets. Instead, he says he's trying and desiring to and is going to pleroo them. He's going to fulfill them. He's going to fill them up to capacity. The idea is that he's desiring to bring about the intentions of the scriptures. The whole point in which Jesus was that God, that Jesus, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, was speaking to this Hebrew people to begin with. He's there to bring it to its fullness. So the question then is, what does Jesus have in mind 
with this fulfilling that he's doing with the law and the prophets? Is he, number one, fulfilling the law and prophets by doing himself what the law commanded to do and what the prophets foretold? Or in other words, is Jesus just fulfilling the law, the prophets, the Old Testament by doing exactly what he was supposed to do? Like he kept every law and he fulfilled every prophecy about the Messiah. Is that, is that what Jesus is talking about here? Well, in part, maybe. Matthew says often this happened to fulfill. You guys familiar with that? This happened to fulfill what the prophet said. This happened to fulfill this. This happened to fulfill that. This happened. However, I think there's more. Maybe the second option would be that Jesus would interpret the Old Testament law, that he would get to its point, that he would whittle things down to the essence of their, of their intentions. In other words, Jesus would do what the rabbis of his day were doing, teaching their disciples what the point of the law and the prophets is, that they might understand how to live it out faithfully. It's not that complicated when you understand it that way. I think the second option, though, is made a little bit difficult by the translation in verse 18 that you'll see in some translations. When Jesus says, not the least stroke of a pen, not the jot or a tittle, not the tiniest bit of it will pass away until it is all accomplished. And it seems as though then Jesus has come to just simply accomplish it. He's just going to do. And again, I don't want to get away from that being in part what is going on here. But the word there that's accomplished, and I'm sorry to just throw a bunch of Greek words at you. I'm trying not to do that all the time. Ginomai. Ginomai is from the word to be born or to come into being. Specifically to come into being through motion, movement, or growth. So Jesus is looking into the progression of what God is speaking and doing in his people and he's bringing to birth what the scriptures are teaching. The law and the prophets are coming into being through Jesus' life and his teaching. So I think it's both, right? Jesus is fulfilling what the prophets talked about the Messiah doing. Jesus is doing it. And yeah, he lived out faithfully the law, the Torah, in all of its beauty, actually, as the Psalm Cat read for us earlier talked about. But he's also getting to the essence of what the law is talking about. He's not trying to deny it. He's not trying to get rid of it. He is fulfilling those expectations, but he's doing it in a way that takes into serious consideration, again, the essence of why God is teaching what he's taught, why he's telling us how to live. Jesus is bringing it out. So it's, I guess this is a sense in which Jesus himself is salt to the law. He goes to the Old Testament law and he seasons it. And we can taste it more clearly than taste it more fully. We can get at the essence of what the whole thing is talking about in the first place. Let me read for you from Matthew 22, and hopefully this will start to make sense. It doesn't already. One of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sorry, I threw an extra one in there. It's a different, different, different version of it. 
love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is getting at the essence of what the law is about the whole time and what the point of it is from the time God first started giving it. Teaching us how to love. He's teaching us how to love. That's what God has been about the whole time. And it's really hard sometimes to come to certain texts in the Old Testament and get that. But this is what Jesus is saying. If we're going to follow him as our rabbi, we're going to try and figure this out. It's teaching us to love God. It's teaching us to love each other. Paul got this. As confusing as some of the things Paul has to say concerning the law is, he got this. He, and he made it really clear to us. Romans 13.10, Paul writes, Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus comes and teaches us that it's all about love. The essence of the law is love. He also says in Galatians 5.14, The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. The whole thing, the whole thing is summed up. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think sometimes we have a misunderstanding about what Jesus came to do. I think that since we understand that Jesus came to show us grace, that he takes the the law which seems really pointed at times. It seems really sharp and dangerous, right? Because it's just hard. And it's like we think sometimes that he takes it and, and just like takes the edge off of it, just blunts the tip of the law and makes it less pointy. But he does the opposite. He hones it down to a sharp, sharp, single point. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's pointed. That's sharp. There's no bluntness there. I think part of the confusion comes in is that we have a tendency to believe that God's law doesn't contain grace. God's law always had grace in it. You read through the Old Testament, and though there are some places to get pretty high-centered on how God calls people to act at times, it seems, and we have to do a lot of work to work our way through that, and there's some some great Bible studies around here that you can take part with to try and work our way through some of that stuff. But nonetheless, God, God's grace has been there for us always. He's always been there for his people. God has always been forgiving to his people. He's always been that way. Jesus is revealing to us that it's always been God's intention for us to learn to love one another. Unfortunately, In Jesus' day, there were many, many people that were missing that point. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. We have to, if Jesus is our rabbi. We have to embrace this. How many of you heard the word hermeneutics or hermeneutic? Yeah. It just means interpretation, but more fully within the world of biblical studies, refers to the, what you bring to a text and how you're going to interpret it. What hermeneutic do you bring to your interpretation? What do you bring? 
Sometimes we bring a lot of baggage of a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of anger. We've got our hermeneutic of suspicion, maybe, or our hermeneutic of we don't like certain categories of people, or we have a hermeneutic of hate, or we have a hermeneutic of patriotism. We have some hermeneutic that we bring to the text, and we then use it to interpret it favorably for whatever outcome that we want, but we can't do that. There's one hermeneutic that we should have. There's one thing we should bring to the text, and it should be interpreted, used to interpret everything within the Old Testament. And again, it's that same one, love. It's that same sharp point that God has whittled it down to in Jesus, love. If we don't bring a hermeneutic of love to what we read, we are reading whatever we're reading wrong. Jesus himself repeatedly applies this hermeneutic of love to get at the essence of every command that he teaches about. When we try and hang the law and the prophets, when we try and hang anything in the Old Testament on anything other than love, Whatever our interpretation is, falls on the floor. I meant to bring something of Luca's, and I totally spaced it on my way out the door. When we were down at Ikea a couple of weeks ago, my birthday, um, <laughs> I tell you guys about that? That was great. We had, we had a ton of fun, but we get back, and I'm cuddling with Luca, and we're putting him to bed, and he said, I tell you this? I said, he, I said, he said, he said, so, Dad, for my birthday, I want to I celebrate it at Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good old time, Swedish meatballs and all the, all the fixings. It was big spenders. It was great. Now, <laughs> but when we were at Ikea, he got this, uh, he got this, <laughs> yeah, a puppy tail <laughs> hook. You have one of those? <laughs> And, and, and though it's kind of an awkward-looking little thing, because it is a puppy butt with a tail, and it's, the tail is a hook, and you, hook your, you put it on the wall, and you hook your coat on it. It's, it, it's like a symbol of love, right? I mean, we love dogs. They love us, and they wag their tails when we come by, or they bite us, one or the other. But I'm going to go with the they love us part. But if it was to represent love, we need to recognize that any other interpretation, any law that isn't first hung on that hook, falls. Jesus says, the law and the prophets hang on those two commands, to love your God and to love your neighbor. In this, in this same teaching, and this is the part that makes me go gulp every time, Jesus says, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a, that, I'm sure when Jesus spoke that to this original group of folks, they gasped. They were like, ah! so, at least like that, right? Maybe some of them might have fainted. Anybody want to faint for me? <laughs> I mean, because they were considered the most righteous people in the whole land. I mean, for goodness sake, they had mined the Old Testament, and they found 633 laws that they were going to keep and fulfill. 
They were going to do it. 633 different things that they just whittled their way through and found every tiny little command and kept them on a sheet and tried to do every single one of them. And Jesus says, my goodness, unless your righteousness surpasses them, you ain't getting in. No wonder why people would gasp. They were like the religious elite, the people that everybody thought were as close to God as you could possibly get. So why in the world would Jesus say that unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven? They're keeping 633 laws. Are you kidding me? Anybody have a guess as to why Jesus would say that? Maybe. Yes. Because they didn't hang them on love. They didn't hang them on love. You can do whatever you want to do and as good as you might think you are for doing it, if you don't have love, you're wasting your time. Love has to come first. They did everything they could possibly do except for understand that what they were supposed to do first and foremost was love. Their teaching was falling flat on the floor because they didn't have a puppy butt dog hook. (laughs) Called love. They didn't have love. We have to have love. You might think that I'm like belaboring this point a little bit, but if you just do a little tiny bit of research online and be really careful doing this, and you just start reading some people's interpretations of the Old Testament, and you start looking at what people try and justify as far as their own behavior or as far as a nation's behavior, and try and align that then with love, and you will find out why I'm belaboring this point, because people miss it. They forget it. They don't recognize it. They don't see that the very first thing that Jesus, our rabbi, tells us to do when it comes to interpreting anything in the Old Testament is to understand that the most important thing is to love God and love your neighbor. The most important thing. That's the law, sharpened down to a point, a single point, to the point of love. In the next weeks, this message is really serving to set up And I hope you all are able to make it the next few weeks. Because this message is really serving to set up the next probably three messages. Maybe two. Knowing me, it'll probably be three. Maybe four. Could possibly be five. Actually, it's it's possible it could be five. Because Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount with something that has been labeled the antitheses. How many of you have heard of the antitheses before? Yeah, a lot of you have heard of the antitheses. It's where he says, you have heard it said, and he quotes something from the Old Testament. And then he says, but I say to you. And then he offers up some really challenging things to what the Old Testament says, or at least how people were understanding what the Old Testament said. And he reinterprets it. He pleroos it. He fulfills it. He understands that it's all about love. And he teaches us what it looks like for these things to be about love. He teaches us on murder. The seed of murder is hatred for a brother or sister in us. He teaches that about adultery. That adultery starts from just a a lustful looking at somebody else like a piece of meat. He teaches on 
swearing, oaths particularly. He teaches that we can't be just tricky about how we make oaths in order to get away with whatever it is that we want to get away with and fulfill on ourselves the law because we didn't make an oath out of keeping with how, I under, how they were understanding Old Testament oaths to be made. He speaks on retribution. It's one of the most challenging things Jesus has to say, or maybe it's the last one, loving your enemy. That's tough stuff. Every one of these, Jesus is quoting an Old Testament text and he is saying, but I say to you. Jesus is being presented as a Moses-like figure. Only, you know, when Moses got some of the Old Testament law, what did he do? He went up on Mount Sinai. He had a powwow with God, talked with him. He sent him back down to tell the people what God spoke to him as far as what they were supposed to do. But what does Jesus do? He surpasses all that. He's on a mount by himself. Sermon on the mount, right? He's the new Moses, only he doesn't go up to Sinai and talk to God. He just says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus is a rabbi, but he is even more than our rabbi. He is the living word, and his word rules. Or at least it should. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is showing up in our midst, not doling the law on the prophets, not taking the point away, but making them pointier yet, teaching us that if we do not have the hermeneutic of love, we will misunderstand everything that God has done in history in revealing himself. So I just ask you the simple, simple, simple question. Will you let the hermeneutic of love lead your life? Will you let Jesus lead your life with the hermeneutic of love? In every situation you interpret, in any biblical text you interpret, and anywhere you turn, will you let the law of love lead you? Or will you go flipping through the pages of Exodus just to find some reason to justify doing something that isn't so in keeping with Jesus, saying, well, the Scripture said I could do it. Well, honey, the Scripture said I could have more than one wife. (laughs) Right? Well, the Scripture said I could have a slave. Oh, the, the Scripture said I could take his eye. Or are we going to let our rabbi Jesus lead us in this hermeneutic of love, flavoring and seasoning everything that we think and do? That, my friends, is what we must do if we don't want to get kicked in the butt by drids. (laughs) If we're following Jesus as our rabbi, that is what we must do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to abolish them. Thank you that you revealed to us how 
Your Father has always had in mind for us to love Him and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us to learn to do this well. Help us to be your people, your salt and light people rallying together and making a difference in our community, bringing glory to you by revealing the fact that you do love. Not only that you exist, but that you are the God who is love. Let us not ever try to justify any other behaviors in our lives, especially with the scriptures, Lord God. But instead, always following your lead, Jesus. We love you. We praise you.